Hello everyone, it's Paul here with another episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for joining me for our regular journey through Spain, Spanish life and culture. If you've got wandering ears and you're interested in Spain, then you're in the right place. This is the podcast for you. If you're new around here, a very warm welcome. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for continuing to follow and tune in to this podcast. I hope you're keeping healthy and well during this difficult time. Uh, well, my job really is to try and help you forget all about uh, what's going on at the moment in this difficult situation and transport you to Spain and also help you think of a time when we can all travel and enjoy our beloved Spain once more. Just before I recorded this introduction to this episode, I was out clapping on the balcony with Garina on our street, which we do at eight o'clock every evening. Here's a little clip of us clapping. So from clapping on our balconies in the centre of Madrid, let's transport ourselves this week to Valencia. In this episode, I'm joined by Paul Knowles, who's a photographer of some 15 years and a Valencia guide. He's originally from the Green Valleys of Wales in the UK, but has been calling Valencia his home with his young family for the last four years. Paul knows Valencia intimately. He's a walking tour guide. He runs his own private tours called Streets of Valencia Old Town Tour. And coming up, we're going to be doing a virtual walking tour of Valencia with Paul, who will be guiding us around the centre of the city taking in all of the most important sites that we should see on a visit to Valencia and Paul's going to be sharing with us a little splash of history. Valencia, the Roman town Valencia, which means vigour. Yeah, I think we get the word valiant from it. So Valencia is actually the city of the brave as, as it translates to modern day. It was an outcrop of the Roman Empire. I like to think of it as a Roman retirement home. And of course, we're going to be talking food and drink and no podcast about Valencia would be complete without talking about paella. The original paella valenciana comes from Albufera Lake, or the, the region of Albufera Lake, about 12, 15 kilometres south of the city. And it was a lunchtime meal, you know, for labourers and farmers. And um, they would put they would put rice in a pan on a wooden on a wooden fire and throw in it whatever they had, which wasn't much at the time. So it would be tomatoes, onions, snails, a duck. They would throw a bit of duck in there if they could catch one. <laughs> and water vole meat was also one of the main ingredients. Put a bit of water vole in there. And stay tuned to the end of the podcast, as we'll also be talking about one of Spain's most famous ferias or festivals called Las Fayas, a pyrotechnic feast of fireworks, bangers, explosions, an amazing assault on the senses, uh, which takes place actually at this time of year. Sadly, because of the situation with uh, coronavirus, uh, it's been cancelled. But we'll be talking all about Las Fayas, the history behind it, what to expect and why you should put it on your list of Spanish ferias. 
each little street in the center of Valencia has a, a fire, which is kind of like a social club, which people pay money into during the year. And this money goes to build these incredible niños, these sculptures, which are constructed in every street around the city. I think it's about 650 different sculptures all around the city. And then on the final day, on the, they have the crema or la crema, and they set fire to all of the sculptures at the same time. So the whole city is basically on fire. So that's all up ahead. Stay tuned to be transported to the beautiful Mediterranean city of Valencia. But before all of that good stuff, I'd just like to give a special mention uh, or a shout out to new When in Spain patrons, Mary Cunningham. Emily Barge and Ingrid Eftestol. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, Ingrid. So thank you to Mary, Emily and Ingrid for becoming When in Spain patrons. Muchísimas gracias for signing up to become a When in Spain patron on the crowdfunding website, patreon.com. Um, I really do genuinely appreciate your support to help keep this podcast going. If any other listeners enjoy the show, um, please do consider signing up to become a patron also you can do so by heading across to patreon.com forward slash when in spain you can pledge as little as just one dollar for anyone who pledges five dollars or more per month you will get access to when in spain bonus content we're talking valencia with photographer and guide paul knowles in the hour ahead you're listening to when in spain Another piece of news that I would like to share with you guys, the listeners, uh, next weekend, next Saturday, I'm hosting a very special When in Spain quiz night live next weekend. Yes, that's Saturday, the 25th of April. Live from our apartment in the centre of Lockdown Madrid, where I will be playing Quizmaster. If you'd like to play, please come and join us. I will be live streaming the quiz on Facebook and Instagram next Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Madrid time. So I guess that's 1.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, for our American friends and 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. And for everyone who knows me back in my home country, that will be 7.30 p.m. London time. So if you want to test your Spain trivia and have some fun along the way, then why not bring a friend along with you as well? Virtually, of course, whether you're having breakfast or you're cracking open a bottle of wine, it's a chance to test your Spain knowledge there will be a selection of rounds which i uh, haven't uh, decided on yet but i think we'll maybe have five rounds of five questions with different categories but the point is uh, it's all related to spain so please if you can make it come and join us it will be lots of fun and i will uh, put various more announcements out between now and next weekend on all of the usual social media platforms where you can find when in spain to give you guys a heads up So it's that time to sit back, relax, close your eyes. Well, unless you're driving, <laughs> don't close your eyes if you're driving or, I don't know, operating some kind of heavy machinery. But it's time to sit back, close your eyes and let yourself be transported 
to the sunny Mediterranean city of Valencia. And let's imagine that we're wandering the city's beautiful streets with our guide, Paul Knowles, as he takes us on a virtual walking tour of the city. So think beautiful marble squares, fountains, orange trees, medieval towers, the cathedral. Of course, we'll also be heading down to the beach and the Turia Park. And a little bit later, talking about the explosive Las Fias Festival. So get ready for some loud noise at the end as well. Pues, vamos para Valencia. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to join When in Spain podcast today. Ah, you're welcome. My pleasure. Going to talk all about Valencia. Sadly, you know, I had hoped that we'd actually get to meet face to face. You know, I did have thoughts of us wandering through the streets in the sun and uh, grabbing a beer afterwards, but not to be. <laughs> we make the most of it, though. It's a shame. Lockdown life. So we're going to talk about Valencia remotely, unfortunately. I first came across you for your photography, for your fantastic Instagram account. You document uh, Valencia through photographs and you also do a Streets of Valencia tour as well. How did you come to, to be in Valencia and, and what attracted you to Valencia in particular? I left the UK. I'm from South Wales. I left the UK about 20 years ago. I ended up in Prague where I taught in a primary school, uh, in a British international school for 15 years, uh, met my now partner there. And we both felt it was time for a move. I've always loved Spain and been interested in Spain and the history and the weather and the food. And so did my partner, Julia. And so we made the plunge about four years ago. And um, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. <laughs> so, Paul, you do a Streets of Valencia tour. What we're going to try and do in this episode then is kind of replicate your tour a little bit. You're going to talk us through yeah. Valencia, some of its history, must-see sites, a bit of the culture, food as well. Third biggest city in Spain, right? About 800,000 people? Yeah, it is the third biggest city. Um, I, I would say, I, I was thinking this morning, uh, I mean... I think that sometimes it's kind of overlooked. I mean, I think Seville, Sevilla is kind of in people's heads a little bit more, um, obviously outside Barcelona and Madrid. Uh, but yeah, Valencia is actually the third biggest city, but gaining in popularity, I think. I mean, certainly I've seen a lot of changes in the four years since we've been here. Um, there's definitely more tourists, definitely more interest. I mean, I've been there many times and I, you know, a good friend of mine who now lives in Barcelona used to live in Valencia and I used to go up and visit quite regularly. And for me, I love Valencia. It's a kind of, for me, a city that's got it all, really. It's a beach city, big city, but not overwhelmingly big. It's got a beautiful historic centre, got its own culture, very much its own identity. It's got its own language, Valenciano, right? Home yeah. of the paella. <laughs> People say it's like a smaller Barcelona or more chilled out Barcelona. I mean... Kind of cliche, but I mean, you know, it, it's true. It, it's 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 smaller than Barcelona. It's not as it's definitely not as cosmopolitan and not as crowded and not as popular and busy. Um, but like I say, we have we have a beautiful big old town, um, wonderful historical sites, great architecture, the food, miles and miles of beaches. <laughs> So starting our audio virtual tour of Valencia, where would you normally start? Um, let's tick off a few must-see sites. 
for anyone coming to Valencia for the first time? Well, we meet in the centre, in the old uh, medieval historical centre, Plaza del Virgin, by the fountain, which of course is dominated by the cathedral, Valencia Cathedral. Then go behind or walk through the beautiful walkway, which is the basilica, which is kind of the working part of the cathedral. And we go to the Roman or the Roman origins of the city, which is the Almona Roman Archaeological Museum. We don't go inside the museum, but I recommend that you do. It's a fabulous museum. Just two euros to get in. Two euros. Bargain. Two euros entry. It's fantastic. You go in and underneath the museum in the basement is are the Roman ruins, the original Roman ruins, uh, the Roman bathhouse, the forum. And it's really good how they designed it. You walk over three inches of glass, clear glass. And so they designed it where you can actually walk over the ruins and see them spread out below you. It was founded, or Valentia, the Roman town Valentia, which means vigour. Yeah, I think we get the word valiant from it. Is that what it means? Interesting. Vigour, valiant. Yeah, so Valencia is actually the city of the brave, as, as it translates to modern day. It was an outcrop of the Roman Empire. I like to think of it as a Roman retirement home. It was kind of where, the, yeah, it was kind of where the Romans, if you survived the 10 or 15 or 20 year stretch yeah. in the Roman army, you know, the infantry, you were kind of sent as your rewards to Valencia where you could make wine, lay in the sun, swim in the sea, chill out for a bit. So, yeah. Soldiers that were put out to graze after they'd uh, paid their dues. Unfortunately, this kind of utopia didn't last very long because uh, around about 75 years later, part of the Roman um, civil war or Roman um, wars, Pompeius raised it to the ground. And so that was the end of the original town of Valentia. Beautiful square that you're on there. So it's a big marble square with a fountain in the middle. I love that square. Well, it's got the Torre de Micolette, which is the highest point of uh, the, the tower. And a little tip from me <laughs> is that if you want, I mean, you can go in and do the full tour of the cathedral, but it kind of, it's huge inside and it goes on and on and on. And if you're really interested, fair enough. But a little kind of cheat is if you just go directly from Plaza del Reina to the front of the cathedral, yeah. you can go directly in, turn left, pay a couple of euros and just go straight to the top of the tower, the Tower of Micolette, and have a beautiful view of the whole city from there top tip top tip where would you normally head from there so we come around the back of the cathedral and we're in plaza del reina not too much of note there but we do it's kind of like the where the buses come and turn around and there's a few touristy restaurants and that type of thing but we go through there because we want to turn left then uh, and we go to the palace of the marquis dos aguas which is a beautiful baroque palace uh, 15th century palace which is famous really for an absolutely stunning marble sculpture on the front of it. And it's now a ceramics museum. The name didn't ring a bell, but as soon as you said the marble facade or the sort of yeah. the marble doorway, I've taken a few snaps of that in the past. Um, yeah, yeah, it's stunning. It's yeah, it's definitely a little uh, Kodak moment. So we stop there and <laughs> have, some, we have some pictures. It's very beautiful. It's kind of like um, beige, creamy coloured marble, yeah, isn't it? But it, to me, it, lo- it looks like candle wax almost. Like it's sort of been moulded and melted onto the, around yes. the door. I sometimes say it looks like a giant cheesy wedding cake. You know, it's real <laughs> over the top. It's very beautiful, very opulent and, and of its time. We stop there, we have a photo. We then turn back to go back into the historical, to the market area, and the central area. 
But on the way, on our left, we pass the Café de Madrid, which for those who like a refreshing drink, uh, it's interesting to point out that that's where the Agua de Valencia was invented or created for the first time. Agua de yes. Valencia, yeah. I was going to ask you about that, actually. Um, I've, yes. I've tried it before. I don't think I've tried it in Café de Madrid. I can't remember. What is Agua yeah. de Valencia? It's a cocktail made predominantly with cava, Spanish champagne. <laughs> yeah. Spanish champagne. Uh, there is a, there's a little story. I mean, I don't know how true this is, but, you know, take it with a pinch of salt, but it's a nice story. So there's a Café de Madrid is there. And there was a waiter, Constantine Hill, who then came on to become or became a, a very famous painter. You could check out some of his paintings later, Constantine Hill. Mm-hmm. He was a barman at the time. And there were a group of rowdy Basque travellers who kept ordering Agua de Bilbao, Agua de Bilbao, which was, of <laughs> course, Carver. And the barman got fed up. Oh, for Christ's sake, why are you ordering the same thing, you know? And he said, well, you make something different then. And so he wandered to the orange trees outside, which you can still see, see standing today, grabbed a load of oranges, squeezed them into the into the carver. Now you've got Agua de Valencia. And so that's how the Agua de Valencia was born. The modern version is kind of fortified with a little bit of gin or a little bit of vodka as well. So, you know, you've got to be careful in the summer. You've got a bit of a thirst on and you start getting it down you. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I've seen people ordering it by the jugs. Yeah, you order it by the jug. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, lovely. Nice and refreshing. Yeah. And, you know, pretty apt. You know, I always think of Valencia as the sort of home of oranges almost in a way. They grow everywhere. You know, I mean, you know, some people on my tour, you know, I get people from Florida on my tour and California. They're not so, you know, they're not so enamoured by the orange trees everywhere. But I think being British, it's still kind of, it will always be a novelty to just see, to see orange trees growing on your street. I think, you know, I completely agree with you there. Quite a novelty. They're everywhere here and, and, you know, they're growing in the streets. And then, of course, you can't eat the ones in the city. But, you know, if you get on your bike, the second you get outside the outskirts of the city, a couple of kilometres, you know, if you, if you can go past an orchard, you can, you can grab and grab one straight from the tree and you can, you can eat the ones there. But from the city, they're a bit bitter, I think. But they still harvest them. They harvest them. And I think they use them for, you know, perfume industry and cosmetics and that sort oh, of really? thing. Yeah, they harvest them around about the beginning of February. You know, one day you wake up and there's no oranges. They've just done it. So we've had our jug of agua de Valencia in Café de Madrid. The next stop, where will you take us next? Well, then we walk towards the Mercat Central, which is one of the spectacular highlights of the, of the walk, the, the central market. I've read that it's the biggest food market in Europe. So I'm not sure exactly, you know, I know that the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul is pretty big, but they say it's the biggest dedicated food market. Apparently it covers more than 8,000 square metres. It's big. (laughs) Huge. (laughs) It's big and it's, I mean, you know, it's all the cliches, but it is an absolute cathedral to food. It's, you know, it's a fabulous place. It's just a theatre. You can walk around there for an hour and just, you know in awe of the produce and the, the seafood and the, 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 the fruits and vegetables and yeah, uh, just a yeah. fabulous place to go. And it's more of a, I think, well, to me, it feels more of a working market uh, than, a, than a kind of tourist attraction. It's, it's you know, you see that the abuelas are in there buying their, buying their rabbits in the morning. It's very much a working market. You know, a lot of my guests are like, well, can we buy stuff from it? Well, yeah, it's, it's actually a working market, which is what's good about it. But I like the outside. It's got like red and white and blue tiles above yes, the sort of glass. It is, uh, 
on my tour, I take photos. So the next day, the day after your tour, you kind of get um, you get delivered kind of a photo story of your experience. And we always take photos in front of these kind of lemon and pale blue tiles. These are very traditional, rustic Valencian country tiles that you might find in old kitchens and stuff. And they're around the outside of the of the of the market. Yeah, very beautiful, very beautiful. I mean, just talking about markets, because you mentioned that you know this is a a working market there is another market in Valencia which is I imagine used to be a working market but has since been converted into more of a food court with bars and restaurants in it now I can't remember the name Mercado Colón this is kind of a more upmarket culinary um, what would you say I'm always trying to compare it to, to, to places in the UK even though I don't know why because I haven't lived there for 20 years but <laughs> kind of this tradition of like I don't know in London they have borough market cool food culinary Mercado Colón is very much along those lines. Probably a little, very beautiful, a little bit more upmarket, but good nonetheless. And, and a stunning building. I think I'm I'm pretty certain it used to be a train station or some kind of yeah. some kind of station like that. So the architect, it's all open plan. Mercado Colón would definitely be a recommendation as well. Yeah, like you said, I don't know how you describe it. I don't want to say food court because that makes me think of some dismal shopping center. <laughs> underground food court in a 1980s shopping centre and there's nothing like that at all yeah, but it, I think there's a word on the tip of my tongue as well but I can't go there in the afternoon and, and, and there's some beautiful bars there sit with your copper your gin and tonic and, and have some nibbles yeah back to the uh, the central market of uh, yeah, Valencia where we are we're in the Mercat Central. Uh, we go right to the middle of the market, and if you look up in the middle, you'll see this beautiful circular kind of wrought iron roof um, decorated with um, beautiful paintings of fish and oranges, and and uh, yeah, it's a real spectacular roof. Um, we stop there and take some photos there. We turn right then and walk through my favourite part of the market, which is the seafood hall. Whatever amazing produce is on you know is fresh in season from mussels they, they shuck oysters fresh from the shell for you to have with a glass of carver we're leaving the mercat central now and we turn right and to what i think is i think it's one of the well certainly one of the most beautiful buildings in the center and that's the yota de la seda um seda meaning silk and this is a beautiful medieval building dated back to the 1500s where they used to trade silks. In the medieval days, it was kind of, you know, the end route of the, the history of the, the old Silk Road. And it's where the traders from all over Europe used to come to buy silk. Makes sense, I suppose, you know, Valencia being a port, a port city as well. Yeah, it's breathtaking. It's beautiful building, a beautiful building. And uh, again, you can go inside. We don't go in on my tour, but I, it's one of the, my top things to do. I definitely recommend that you go in. Again, it's a couple of euros. I think everything's two euros in Valencia to get into. So. Bargain prices. <laughs> yeah, but you pay two euros and you go into a beautiful orange grove courtyard. Then you turn left into what was the, the trading room. And it's a beautiful marble arched hall. I mean, really spectacular, um, stunning architecture. And there's a little chapel and there's a big basement where I believe they used to store the wine. Or I like to think that's where they stored the wine. <laughs> but yeah, that's the Yota de la Seda. So definitely would be on your list of things to see in Valencia. We're going right into the heart of the old town now. We go to a very beautiful square, Plaza del Tosal 
which is a beautiful square. And there's a very famous cafe, Cafe Saint-Germain. Kind of looks like an old Parisian street cafe, but that's where you go and sit for your um, evening vermouth and watch the world go by. It's a very beautiful bar, a kind of old wooden, kind of looks like a kind of like a chemist shop, but it's where they concoct their own casero vermouth, their their homemade vermouths. Sounds ideal. And I always say to anyone coming to Spain for the first time, wherever you go, really, not necessarily Valencia, but to wherever, to try a vermouth because it's a typical afternoon tipple, I suppose. It's great. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a real cultural thing. It's the kind of thing that in the UK, I can't imagine going with a group of my mates and having a, a, a glass of vermouth. You know, <laughs> but you do it here because, you know. When yeah. in Rome, right? When in Rome, and absolutely. Still, when in Spain, I'm still working my way through to find my to find the one I like the most. But I'm enjoying I'm enjoying doing that. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean I've heard people say it makes me laugh. It's sort of really the only alcoholic drink which is acceptable to drink before midday. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you see the old boys sat sat with their vermouth in the morning even. Plaza del Tosal and we go into the old um, Moorish quarter. Uh, we go, we pass through the Portal de Valdinia, which is a beautiful archway dating back to the 1200s. And this would be the entrance into the old kind of Muslim Islamic quarter uh, of Valencia, a tiny little enclave in the, right in the center of the old town. What's interesting about that is that you can still see the original foundations dating back to the 1200s uh, of the buildings, and they've actually kept them and built newer buildings on top. So what remains from the old city is the is the foundations of the buildings. So that's kind of a real standout um, archaeological site that you when when you when you're stood there to see that. Basically, you're walking through streets that have been there since 1250, 1240. So you wow. can really feel the history there. And incredible. I always say the same thing with my guys. As soon as I walk through, turn the corner through this portal de Valdinia, this kind of ancient gateway into this old kind of enclave, I always say the same thing. It's always completely empty. <laughs> any time of the day, any time of the year. And I always think, you know, you're in the, you're in the, right in the historical centre of the third biggest city in Spain. And there's never a soul around. It's amazing. Generally, the centre of Valencia is, is just a lot quieter. I mean, it's getting busier as the year, you know, in the last two or three years, it's got busier. So then where are we on this tour now? I need to get a move on. Where are we? We're walking through the old um, Islamic quarter. And then we come out to the Torres de Serrano medieval entrance gate to the city. And that kind of looms really tall just before you get to the Turia Garden. So if you imagine that would be the the kind of medieval entrance to the city. And then there was a wall spreading from the Torres de Serrano around the old town. That's a stunning, stunning tower as well. You can still see the old wooden gate, the original chains on the gate and the lock. And What I love about it is the scale of the turrets and the two towers compared to the little archway. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it's stunning. It must have been, you know, I always think it must have been quite a sight, you know, 500 years ago for pilgrims or whoever at the city gates to see these massive tower looming above you and then and then as you go through the gate you see the old the old road leading back to the Plaza de la Virgin which is where we start and so then we go around and we we, we take a different route around the back to see some more beautiful empty streets and then we cut back into the into the uh, square and we kind of finish where we started at the fountain so it's kind of like a full circle 
walk through the historical centre. You just mentioned the Turia Gardens. It's a beautiful, long, winding park that makes its way through, not right through the centre, but along the kind of edge of the city, but it's pretty central. There used to be a river, right, which flooded and then they decided to drain it. Yeah, it was a river, although it's kind of deceiving. Every time I see old pictures of the, the river, it's kind of like a small trickle just running through the through the through the through what looks like a park anyway. But uh, yeah. it, it, it wasn't always a trickle because I tell my guests it doesn't rain much in Valencia. But when it does, <laughs> it doesn't stop for four or five days. <laughs> we have these uh, we have the Gotta Fria, which is the cold drop. Yeah. Uh, we get them. I mean, usually around about usually. February time we had we had a terrible one in January this year one of the worst and um, this is when the te- there's suddenly a sudden drop in temperature and it creates a huge storm where we get absolutely buckets and buckets of rain for three or four days so anyway this was happening a lot and was uh, causing was flooding the whole old town in 1957 they had a catastrophic flood you can still see photos of this if you go into the old bakeries and stuff uh, completely flooded out the town and so I think in 1969, they made a decision to um, divert the river around the city uh, to stop it flooding. And as a result, we've got 8.8 kilometres of beautiful park now, which starts right at the beginning where the Arts and Science Centre is and the Oceanographic Centre. And it goes all the way through the city, 8.8 kilometres to the Beale Park, which is the zoo. And it's where people hang out. You can picnic and run and cycle. Yeah. And... I love that park. I mean, what a great idea to turn the river into a into a, a big green space, which winds its way alongside the city. And it's kind of got different zones, hasn't it? You know, yeah. there are there are zones with lots of trees and grass, like you said, ideal for picnics. Um, there is like a skateboarding area. There's a giant. Um, is it like a? Is it for children? Like a giant? What oh, is it? Yeah. Gulliver. It's kind of a giant, if you imagine Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels, a magic giant, a giant, giant, plastic giant, kind of laying down in the park. So you can only really see it from above. <laughs> and it's kind of like slides and a big children's play area. The Turia Garden in general is, is much busier in the spring and in the winter because there's not much shelter there in the summer and it, it get, just gets too hot. So I think everyone just heads to the beach in the summer. And what I love about it is you can tell it was a river by the sort of the, the dimensions of it and the shape and the way it kind of curves. But also yeah. you've still got all the bridges, you know, connects yeah, yeah, it going yeah, over yeah, the park. I should mention, we, we, I mean, we can't really go to Valencia without mentioning the, art, the City of Arts and Sciences, which is at the kind of the bottom towards the sea. City of Arts and Sciences, yeah. I think it was finished around about 2004, 2005. Santiago Calatrava was the architect who incidentally has just designed the Oculus building, which is at the World Trade Center in New York. It's kind of this futuristic kind of insect looking collection of four buildings. I mean, spectacular. Um, Inside them, there's a a science museum, there's a music hall, um, an opera hall, there's an oceanographic center at the bottom. My recommendation is to just go there early in the morning as the sun's coming up and you don't really have to pay money to go inside to see the exhibits. They're kind of underwhelming sometimes, but the building itself is the highlight. So my recommendation would be to go there early in the morning or in the evening as the sun's rising or setting and just take in the building. It's absolutely stunning. Just walk around it and you'll get some great pictures. And yeah, the, the building itself is definitely the, the attraction. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a collection of very futuristic, curved, white 
buildings with glass and metal um amazing i mean super futuristic compared to the rest of valencia i've only been inside i think once and yeah such so as a very big very empty space with not much in it yeah. if i'm honest you mentioned earlier you know when the weather gets hot um maybe the Turia park not the best option but people go to the beach now we can't really talk about valencia without mentioning the beach um let's go to the beach for a minute the beach is not in the center i mean it's not like barcelona or malaga or other cities where it's right next to the center but it's easily easily accessible you can jump on a tram you can jump on a train the absolute best way to get to the beach is to rent a bike and cycle down the Turia. Turn left at the bottom of the Turia, wind your path down and you'll come to the marina and then you'll see the beaches. So the best way for sure is to cycle. Uh, Valencia is incredible for cycling. Um, there's cycle paths everywhere. For instance, I live in Rosaja, which is very near the centre, and I can cycle all the way to the beach and right the way up the beach without going anywhere near a road. There's cycle paths everywhere all over the city. So it's really safe um it's cooler in the summer of course pretty much every other building in in valencia is a is a bike rental you know, huge spacious promenades and miles and miles and miles of beach so yeah gotta go to the beach you've got playa de las arenas at the top end near the port going down to cabanal i suppose one of the more well-known parts of the beach the malvarosa malvarosa yeah. and then a little tip Further up, just go a little bit past Malvarosa, a little bit north to La Patacona. Patacona in the summer is a little bit quieter, and it also has these beautiful um, beach huts, beach bars along the way as well. So Patacona is the place to go. You've got no shortage of bars and chiringuitos and places along the beach. Uh, And what I love about Valencia Beach as well is it's really wide. It's a wide beach. There's a lot of space, isn't there? Definitely. And I suppose I should give you another little tip, a little insight tip. On the right hand side of the arts and science building, you can jump on a bus, jump on a number 25 bus. And in about 15 minutes or so, that would take you to El Saler. El Saler is a tiny little village. Hop off and head to the beach there. And there the beach is really, really wild. I mean, it's completely, completely empty, wild sand dunes. And so if you really want to escape the crowds, jump on the 25 bus to El Saler, 15 minutes, and you just have completely empty beaches, um, except for maybe a few nude people, because they think there's one part of it is a nudist beach. So, <laughs> but you, you know, El Saler is, is, is kind of completely, that's just before you get to Albufera, which is the, the national park area. So it's really unspoiled and really, really quiet. Talking about the beach and going back to Playa de las Arenas, segue into food. Um, there is a restaurant right there called La Pepica, which a lot of people say yeah. is a good place to go for what Valencia is famous for, paella, the home of paella. It is, yeah, paella valenciana. But yeah, La Pepica is the restaurant which, um, I mean, I recommend my guests to go to. Is it the best paella in Valencia? Um, I'm not sure. Some people might say you have to go to the actual village in Albufera where it's from, but it's certainly an experience. It's an old traditional restaurant. It's been there for a while. Um, When you walk inside, you'll see the waiters all in their white, white outfits and their bow ties carrying the huge pans around. You've got a view of the sea. The whole interior is is covered with black and white photos of Hemingway and famous writers. It's where Hemingway used to go for his paella when he was in town. So it's a real historical and cultural experience. La Pepica, that's where you go for your seafood, your, your rice dishes. Yeah. 
one of the features I think uh, really stands out is you have all these restaurants on the front. Uh, in some places, in some resorts, in some countries, you might think, oh, you know, you might want to avoid them. It's going to be expensive. But none of them are really that expensive. And even La Pepica is, I think you pay around about twelve ninety five a head for Paella Valenciana, which right, you know, right on the seafront to get one of the best paellas in town, I think is pretty good. You know, you're not, you're, it's, it's good value. That's really good value, I think, yeah. The original Paella Valenciana comes from Albufera Lake, or the, the region of Albufera Lake, about 12, 15 kilometres south of the city. And it was a lunchtime meal, you know, for labourers and farmers. And um, they would put they would put rice in a pan on a wooden on a wooden fire and throw in it whatever they had, which wasn't much at the time. So it would be tomatoes, onions, snails, a duck. They would throw a bit of duck in there if they could catch one. <laughs> and water vole meat was also one of the main ingredients. They wow. used to put a bit of water vole in there. Oh, my God. Madre mia. <laughs> yeah. Blasco Ibn- Ibnev, the famous writer, um, in his book, Cañas Ibarro, and he he writes about the custom of eating water voles and putting them in the, in your paella. Anyway, things developed, uh, and as it became a popular tourist spot, they kind of refined the paella valenciana. And now the traditional ingredients or the traditional meats is chicken, rabbit, uh, green beans, big white kind of butter beans we would call them. Yeah. Uh, um, with fresh rosemary, uh, tomatoes, and a bit of saffron. The runner beans are substituted for artichokes, I think, in the winter. I mean, you do get seafood paella as well, I guess. Yeah. With, uh, prawns and squid. Seafood or marisco is everywhere and, and, and good. Um, a real traditional dish from, I think it comes from, I keep saying I think, like I don't know. <laughs> you know <laughs> I fact finding, but yeah, um, it comes from the Alicante region is Arova Banda. Which is kind, which is my favourite. Arroz Banda is a really kind of rich tasting seafoody. Um, it's made with the stock. The fishermen used to make it with the stock from the leftover fish and shellfish and that type of thing. So it's a real fishy stock rice with a bit of squid or a bit of calamari thrown in. Um, yeah, Arroz Banda is a is a is a, is a is a local Alicante. You can find it all the way up the coast. Arroz Banda, right up to Barcelona actually. But it's a very good one real traditional one if you want to try something a little bit different a little bit traditional arroza banda is really tasty i love it yeah absolutely love it i mean I'm, i really like rice dishes anyway but i mean that's i yeah. probably i prefer that over paella i think probably but paella what i do like about paella is you get that crust that that kind of, it's got a special name in spanish and i can't remember what it is sac, sac, saccharat 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 yeah it's what is saccharat might have to someone might have to <laughs> saccharat i'm pretty certain it's saccharat this is kind of the crust because when you cook the paella on the wooden on the on the wooden fire you you don't stir it you add your water and your stock on top of your meat and rice and you leave it and the water cooks down and the saccharat is this kind of the crust at the bottom of the pan where all the flavors are kind of richer and more developed and salty and delicious oh it's delicious um i've just had a quick look it's socarat 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 i wasn't far off yeah. not bad for a welshman <laughs> you know it really is the tradition on a sunday you know it, the family you see the families at the beach on the huge tables and yeah, the massive pan. And, you know, it's, it's what they do. It's their Sunday roast, isn't it? The paella. Obviously, if you're visiting Spain, you can eat paella whenever the hell you want. And there's no problem with that at all. But I would say it's a, it's a sort of Sunday Sunday lunchtime dish, isn't it? You, yeah. you don't Spaniards yeah. don't really eat paella 
in the evening and they don't eat it during the week. Glad you reminded me. That's a, that's a real key point, actually. Paella is only eaten for lunch. Uh, never, ever eaten in the evening. You know, I always tell my guests, you go for paella at lunchtime because if you see a place cooking it in the evening, it might still be good, but there's a chance it might not be the real deal because it's really served for lunch, yeah. Yeah, if you want to blend in with the locals, uh, eat your paella at lunchtime, wherever you are in Spain, actually, because obviously you can get paella across Spain. Um, And yeah, I think there is a risk. If you see somewhere, like you said, cooking it in the evening, it might be more of a touristy, especially targeting tourists. It might might just be yellow rice with a bit of chicken thrown in. Yeah, not good. And paella paella should never have chorizo in it, as uh, Jamie Oliver found out. (laughs) Oh, no, that's another thing I was going to say. There was somebody else on Twitter who who published a paella recipe with chorizo in the other day as well. And, uh, you know, the Valencian paella police will be on your back. Yeah, no way. (laughs) Definitely not. Rabbit or seafood, nothing else. What I wanted to do is head back towards the neighbourhood where you live and where I've uh, stayed when I've stayed in Valencia many times before and talk a little bit about the neighbourhood called Rusafa, very near the centre. It's quite a vibrant, artsy neighbourhood. It's quite up and coming, I guess you could say. Is it a bit hipster? But it's got some really cool bars, restaurants, cafes. I was trying to avoid saying the word hipster, but I think when you say hipster, people know what you mean. It's kind of like lots of these places that have gone through gentrification. um, It started off as a as a as a poor neighborhood, you know, a central inner city neighborhood where 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 the workers used to live, you know, uh, and then lots of immigrants coming in from Latin America and that type of thing. And now over the last 10, 15 years, I guess it's become kind of a cool place to, to, to be, you know, lots of cool restaurants and bars and cafes. Um, lots of people doing interesting things with food as well. I mean, you, you would know, obviously, but the Spanish, I think, are very traditional when it comes to food. They they really they stick with what they know. They stick with what they like because it's good. You know, the, the, the basic ingredients. And so when I first moved here, it was quite unusual to see food from other countries to see maybe Thai food or Mexican food or or that type of thing. But over the last four years, Rosafa has really become much more international with its and people are becoming a bit more um what's the word experimental with their food and you can get food from all over the place here now it's where the locals come in the evenings more experience the real um, valencian evening you know the summer evening the streets are full of tables and chairs everybody's outside all night right into the early hours you know if you want to see the atmosphere there and the, the music and the food and the life it's very much where, where Valencia goes to kind of eat and drink and party. Yeah, and it's got its own um, market as well, hasn't it? It does, yeah. We should mention it, actually, uh, the, the, the Mercato Safa, which is kind of, I mean, for a local neighbourhood market, it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's kind of like a mini Mercat Central, really. It's, it really is good. Just walk the streets, you have uh, Calle Cuba, Calle Puerto Rico, Calle Sueca. Well, these are the three main streets that intersect in the middle. Just head there in the evening, you know, have your cocktail and your food and especially on a Friday, Saturday night, 
Most nights in the summer are really busy, though, but it's definitely the the place to head in the evening. I would say it's a, be a good place to stay if you're planning a trip to definitely, to the to the definitely. city. I mean, there are lots of uh, there's a lot of Airbnb in that area, which I, depending on how you look at it, could be a good or a bad thing. Um, but there are you yeah. know there are hostels, there are there's a lot of accommodation for all all price points, I suppose. One thing you need to check sometimes they'll say that your apartment is in Rosafa. And it's not in Rosafa. It's about five kilometres down the road from Rosafa. But they try and say that it's in Rosafa. To, to just, you can check on the map anyway. But Rosafa is a great place to base yourself because you can hop on a bus and be on the beach in 15 minutes and you can stroll into the centre of the town in 15 minutes too. So it's a good place to base yourself. Yeah, just just south of the centre, really, isn't it? What, about half a kilometre, something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, when I start my tours in the centre at the cathedral, I walk and it takes me about 20, depending on how busy it is, takes me about 20, 25 minutes maximum to walk right into the centre of the city. The other thing I just wanted to quickly mention, place names, really. And it might be important to note, because especially if someone's coming to visit for the first time, that obviously in Valencia and the Valencia region, they do have their own language, Valenciano, which is kind of similar to Catalan. Um, and it is spoken, but, you know, you're going to have no problems communicating in Valencia in in, in Spanish. The, the street signs are written in normally Valenciano. But if you're looking at a map or Google Maps, you might see the names given in Castellano in, in Spanish. So there, sometimes there might be a little bit of confusion there. They'll have dual language uh, signs, yeah, in Valenciano and, and uh, Castellano. Carrera in Valenciano and Calle in Spanish for, for street. So you'll see this. And sometimes there's a little variation in the spelling of the street name as well, actually. What I would say is that, yes, they have they have Valenciano. They're nowhere near as fiercely protective of their language as maybe some regions of Catalonia are. So you can happily just speak Spanish everywhere. Let's look at festivities, ferias in Valencia. Now, I can't uh, not mention Las Fallas. Sadly, this year has been cancelled, like all ferias across Spain at the moment, due to the uh, COVID-19. Yeah, it's a real disaster here. I mean, for them to cancel fires was a real, real big thing. It's very hard to explain because it's just... It's on such a grand scale. The festivities last for about a month and they build up to their climax, uh, which is about five or six days. You know, the kids have five, six days off school. So it's really a, a massive, massive holiday. Um, just very briefly, the origins, um, it comes from a, a carpenter's tradition, a tradition of uh, the carpenters used to have these uh, pieces of wood called parots, which they used to use to hold their candles in the evening where they, so they could work outside. And what they used to do was they used to burn these parrots on March the 19th because that was the beginning of spring. Uh, the patron saint of carpentry, San Jose, on the 19th of April, they would burn these pieces of wood because they didn't need them anymore because of the light spring evenings. So they would chuck them into the streets and set fire to them. And then that's where the tradition built, built and built and built into what it is today. Um, and what it is today is pyromania yeah. gone crazy, right? justice i mean it's just incredible the noise the closest thing we have in england it would be kind of like a social club so each little district each little street in the center of valencia has a a, a fire which is kind of like a social club which people pay money into 
during the year. And this money goes to build these incredible ninjas, these sculptures which are um, constructed in every street around the city. I think it's about 650 different sculptures all around the city. And the sculptures can be uh, comical or satirical or you know, related to politics or history or sport. They have different themes in different areas. And then on the final day, on the usually March the 19th, they have the crema or la crema and they set fire to all of the sculptures at the same time. So the whole city is basically on fire. Which always seems a shame to me because these sculptures are really detailed and they put a lot of work into making them, right? Because they're made from wood and paper mache and they're painted and... Yeah, and a lot of money they spend a fortune hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of euros on them and if you could sometimes you can be lucky enough to walk past one of these workshops and um, there's a couple on my tour and you can poke your head in at any point during the year and they're painting and constructing these incredibly detailed beautiful sculptures which they then burn for the crema at the end that's the one aspect the other aspect is that on every every afternoon at two o'clock in uh, the center of valencia they'll have a mascleta um, Glitter. <laughs> and it's just a, a daytime fireworks show which is focused on noise rather than, than the fireworks. So it's just this incredible rhythm of noise and you can feel your heart pumping out of your chest. And I've been once. Um, I'd love to go again. Um, but I don't think I've ever experienced such deafening noise before. I didn't even know that kind of level of noise was possible. Um, you know, I've been to fireworks displays in lots of different places, but this is on another level. It's so, so loud. You know, you feel like your body is going to explode. And the people, you know, they, I mean, I think there's about 120, 130,000 people every day for about three weeks at two o'clock. Um, assembling on the square which is of course one of the reasons why we're not doing it or we didn't do it this year which is a shame but hopefully next year I th it, it's definitely something everyone should experience fires i've tried to explain to some of my guests i try and say imagine the biggest fireworks show for the fourth of july or for new year's eve times it by 10 <laughs> and then imagine imagine that happening 15 times a day for a month and that would be pretty close to what fires actually is yeah It's an amazing ferrier. I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, it gets super busy. I, I think I was there three years ago for my first time at IAS, and um, and I, mean, I loved it. It was incredible. I mean, I would say be prepared to be very, very overwhelmed with crowds of people. It's very difficult to navigate your way around the city because yeah. they close a lot of streets. They put a lot of barricades along the pavement, so you can't cross over streets very easily. You're kind of going up and down looking for a crossing point. I mean, I'd met yeah. up with some friends to try and meet them at this bar, and it took me... I could see them. <laughs> from where I was standing but it took me about an hour to actually get to them because of the crowds yeah. and the barriers so I think that's important to take into account and basically if you don't like loud noise and big crowds forget it, forget it. also be prepared to put on about 15 kilos and to not sleep <laughs> because on every single street corner there'll be uh, churros stands or Adanas Brava stands and Puñelos, the deep fried uh, pumpkins and 
pretty much everything is deep fried. So it's like, you know, all the worst kind of food that you find at a fun affair in the States or in England times that by 10 and that's on every street corner. Just before we finish, Paul, just to tell us how people, uh, when this uh, quarantine's all over and anyone interested in uh, uh, doing one of your Streets of Valencia tours, um, anyone who's coming to Valencia at any time in the future, um, how can they get in touch? On the website, streetsofvalencia.com and have a look at some of the photos from my tour and book their tour. And they can also contact me there as well. So streetsofvalencia.com. And on Instagram, if you just want to follow me and see some nice pictures from Valencia, it's Streets of Valencia Tour, at Streets of Valencia Tour. At Streets of Valencia Tour. Uh, listeners, I will put links to the, all of this information in the show notes of this episode for you to click on. Do go and check out Paul's photographer. I think your photography is fantastic. Love the use of light and shadows. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to join the When in Spain podcast today. My pleasure, my pleasure. You're listening to When in Spain with me, Paul Birch. We've been talking with Paul Knowles, all things Valencia. If in the future you're planning a trip to Valencia, when of course we are free again to travel, and you would like to book a walking tour with Paul Knowles, uh, you can head over to his website, which is streetsofvalencia.com, streetsofvalencia.com, where you can find out more information about his one-hour private tours around the old town of Valencia and the great thing with his tours also is that he acts as a guide and a personal photographer so he will be snapping you uh, during the tour and after your tour with Paul he'll send you 20 professional photographs of your experience sounds fantastic the other thing I must say is do go and check out Paul's Instagram which you can find at the Instagram handle streets of Valencia tour I love Paul's photos Um, I'm sure you will too go and check them out on instagram beautiful photographs of well a beautiful city of valencia So I'll leave it there for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you're new to the When in Spain podcast, uh, we have a presence on all the usual social media hangouts. If you'd like to check us out there, we have a Facebook group with around 3000 members at the moment. It's a place for you to share uh, content, ask questions to like minded Spain fans like yourselves and share anything that you think is interesting as long as it's relevant to Spain that's your place to do that Uh, speaking of Instagram when in Spain also has uh, an Instagram page as well where I share photos and lately I've been putting little videos uh, on Instagram as well about little aspects of Spanish life so do go and follow when in Spain on Instagram the handle is when in Spain one the number one when in Spain's also on Twitter if uh, Twitter is your favored social media platform well what else that's it really Uh, i'll be putting out another episode in the next few days a little bonus episode it's going to be a food related episode i'm going to be rounding up the best of my food and drink episodes and a little highlights of food and drink in madrid so keep your ears peeled for that and i'll also be interviewing a very special guest next week to talk all about the famous spanish tipple vermouth or vermouth 
as they call it here in Spain. So keep your ears out for that. Lots of other guests lined up um, to be doing remote interviews. A little bit complicated at the moment. I always prefer to do interviews face to face where possible. Um, of course, at the moment, that is not going to happen. But uh, through the magic of Skype and uh, the Internet, can still get some fantastic guests on this show if you do enjoy the podcast please consider signing up to become a when in spain patron to support the work that i do and indeed of course the future of the podcast to keep it going and you can do that by visiting patreon.com forward slash when in spain it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash when in spain when you hit that page uh, it's all very self-explanatory there are numerous tiers uh, that you can pledge at and uh, and it's super easy and self-explanatory to do with the five dollar or more pledges you will get access to some when in spain bonus content as well so i'll leave it there guys do keep well and stay safe wherever you're listening from around the world stay positive stay active and well keep listening to the wedding spain podcast to be transported all around spain every week until the next episode hasta luego